in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created man and woman, Adam and Eve, and fellowshiped with them in paradise, and we're the result of that creative purpose. God's intention for all of us as humans is to be in relationship with Him. But Adam and Eve sinned against God. They rejected God, and every one of us to this day have sinned, are sinners, and are born sinners against God. And all of us have rejected God and His ways in our life. We're separated from God because we reject Him. But God did not leave us as people in that place. He called a people to be His in the Old Testament. They rejected God, even as He called them to be His people. They rejected God and asked instead for a king, a human king to rule over them. So God gave them kings, and eventually the kings led the people against God's ways and rejected God themselves and led people further from God. And so God sent prophets to call His people back to Him. But the people bristled at the prophets and rejected the Word of God. Finally, in His love, at the exact right time, God sent His Son Jesus to save people. He is the atonement for our sin and returns all who believe to relationship with God. And we are in his story. This is his story from the Gospel of Mark. And today we're in Mark chapter 10, which is, if you're using one of the Bibles in front of the, in the back of the pew in front of you, it's page 845. If you're using one of the journals, it begins, Mark 10 begins on page 60. This is a rich chapter, rich in teaching and events. And I encourage you to read it this evening to get the full scope of what is going on. Just Just make a point right now and say, I'm going to read Mark 10 before I go to bed tonight to see everything that's going on. We remember all the way back in Mark chapter 1, Jesus begins his ministry by calling people to follow him. And here in chapter 10, we get some illustrations of what that means. We're only going to hit on four of the episodes in this chapter because these four episodes highlight four obstacles to following Jesus. Right? The first obstacle is passion. Let's look at verses 1 to 12. The first obstacle is passion. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Singleness and marriage are reflections of the gospel. And they carry Christ-centered intentionality and purpose. 
Largely, however, we have made marriage far less than a reflection of the gospel and have treated singleness as far less than gospel purposefulness. Right? Culturally, we've made singleness a carefree party to sow your wild oats and marriage a ball and chain. Neither picture honors the purpose of singleness or marriage, and in doing so does not honor God. These are deep subjects worth expounding on that we'll return to at some point in the future, right? We will return to marriage and singleness because of the power of each of these relationships and witness for the kingdom. But for now, know that passion can be an obstacle to your following Christ. In this teaching and encounter with Jesus, religious legalists are using marriage and divorce as a trap to try to catch Jesus. And it doesn't work. It never works. Right? We cannot make Jesus succumb to our desires or do our will. He is God. He judges us, not vice versa. So in addressing this religious crowd, the Pharisees, he calls out their hard hearts right? and then explains the truth about marriage. Look again at verse 6. Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment, picking up in verse 6, that from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Let not man separate. This religious group that was testing Jesus held an easy view of marriage and divorce. They felt that any indecency could be cause for divorce. The result was that marriage was cheapened, made it and the people involved commodities, and it distorted the gospel. Right? Marriage could become a short transactional relationship taken to extreme in such situations. So Jesus cuts through all that and brings it right back to the beginning, what God intended for marriage and what God created in marriage, a lifelong monogamous relationship of one man and one woman. Marriage, friends, is a good gift from a great God. Even today we treat it sometimes more transactionally in nature rather than a gift and reflection of the gospel that it is from God. And I hope you were here a couple weeks ago when Bob and Jeannie Hall uh, shared about their testimony regarding 50 years of marriage, right? And a couple takeaways from that event for me. One, it's hard work to be married. Um, Two people who are sinners committing to stay together for life is a recipe for trying times, right? It takes commitment. And in Jesus' day, much like today, people sometimes look for an easy way out and found it by manipulating the wall, and it's because of passionately hard hearts. Our passions come and go, and they can be a hurdle to following Jesus. If we just think about passion for a minute, there's days we're going to feel like following Jesus and days we won't. There's days we'll feel committed and days we will not. In Jesus' day, it was people 
living out their passions by using marriage to satisfy them and making it short and quick. The point of marriage is not our passions. The point of marriage is Jesus. The point of our passions is not ourselves. The point of our passions is also Jesus. When we turn our passion toward anyone or anything but Jesus, we stop following Jesus. Passion can be good, but it can also be a hindrance if misdirected. The disciples picked up on the difficulty of following Jesus in marriage, and so they asked him again about it. Right? They got what was going on. Jesus was just bringing it back to what God designed. Now, we don't have time to unpack it today. We, we will at a future date because there are um, reasons for divorce that the Bible gives and Jesus gives and Scripture gives uh, later in the New Testament. But Jesus just gets right to it because he's perceiving in those asking him the question, very hard hearts. And so he says, look, you have not honored the Word of God in your marriage. So Jesus goes right to the passions. If you drop one spouse for another, you are an adulterer. Marriage is a picture of the gospel, and our own passion can be an obstacle to following Christ. So church, control your passions. Those of you who are beginning your walk with Christ and those of you who are baptized today, know that your passions can work for you and they can work against you. Turn them to Jesus as you set your focus on Him. A second obstacle, if we pick up in verse 13, is pride. And they were bringing children to Him that He might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to Me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Pride is also an obstacle to following Jesus. To follow Jesus, we must embrace childlike belief and faith. A child believes in trust, and that is what Jesus asks of us. Pride tells us we know better. Right? And cynicism is the result of pride that believes God isn't real, God doesn't listen, God doesn't respond, prayer doesn't work, based on the fact that we don't get what we want. And that all stems from pride, that we would know better. Selfish pride gets us to bad places. And it is an obstacle to our following Jesus. To overcome pride, humble yourself to Jesus and trust Him at His Word and Scripture. Now, His Word may not agree with you, but wrestle through it. Don't let yourself go to the place where you stand in judgment of God's Word, filtering what it says. That's the place the disciples found themselves here. They were filtering who could come to Jesus. Right? And Look at Jesus' reaction to what they were doing. He was indignant with them. Pride is a tremendous obstacle 
to following Jesus. So lay down pride and ask Jesus to show you where your pride is hindering you. And humbly trust Jesus as a child trusts a parent. Now pride is an obstacle no matter your age. Sexual passion may wane, but pride remains. Left unchecked, it will only grow and result in trouble. So check your pride. A third obstacle is possessions. Verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Jesus is just giving them a list. Here's the commandments. You know them. right? And he said to them, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything to follow you. Like I said again, I love Peter. Just speak up. Just speak up. Get it in. We've left it all to follow you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. The many who are first will be last, and the last first. For this rich young man, his possessions cost him everything. Money and possessions can be great obstacles to following Jesus. But like passion, they can also be great instruments to our following Jesus. The question is, what do you treasure most? What do you treasure most? Is it a relationship? Is it a person? Is it an idea? Is it a dream? Is it a possession? Or is it the Lord? Do you treasure Jesus more than anything? Jesus was not telling this man to buy his salvation. He was not saying, go sell everything and buy your salvation. He was calling him to treasure him most. Right? To release himself of that which held him back from fully loving Jesus. 
Sometimes we think that treasuring Jesus means material and relational loss. And it may, right? But I also want to bring up the teaching of verse 29 onwards. Because following Jesus is actually great gain. Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sister and mother and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. In the church, when you follow Jesus, in the church you gain relationships. You gain people who are older than you, that have walked with Jesus longer than you. They are fathers and mothers in the faith. You gain many brothers and sisters in the faith. And as you lead other people to follow Jesus, you gain children in the faith, right? Elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul uses the language, my true brother in the faith, my true child in the faith. Our gain is tremendous, right? A new, larger family when we follow Christ. Now, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. Jesus is not promising wealth. He's promising a home and a family. The disciples, when they roamed all about the world in Acts, they were welcomed into homes all across Asia and the Mediterranean. They left theirs but gained so many more. And the same is true for us. When you look around this room, how many more relationships we have in the faith. And verse 30 also promises persecutions in this life, which should put an end to any thought we have toward following Jesus to become healthy or wealthy. Right? Material love should never be our goal. Jesus should be our goal in following Him. Right? For those of you baptized today, you've publicly identified with Jesus. And some will call you strange for it, right? Some may call you names for it. Some may think you're crazy. Why would you do that? Others may think you're irrelevant. Some may make fun of you. But here you have a home of people proud of you, right, and the decisions you've made. And we all consider it a blessing to suffer for the name of Jesus. Right? Know that in this local church and in the larger global church, you are not alone. You have gained family, a larger, bigger, united, and understanding family who will walk with you. Right? If you're into the races, this is a tough mutter, not a Spartan race. Right? We're in it together, not alone. Following Jesus is tremendous gain. Treasuring money and possessions is tremendous loss. It's tremendous loss. As Jesus caps this, in the age to come, eternal life. Tremendous gain in following Jesus. We gain eternal life. When we treasure our possessions, what happens to them when we die? Somebody else gets them, right? It's loss. 
where Jesus is game. This puts us as believers, this puts us at odds with the way of the world. So remember last week and deal seriously with sin. If we were to, to transfer that teaching to this week, if you have a possession that is causing you to sin, give it away. Right? Give it to someone else. Don't hold on to the things of this world. Even this week, so many people have shared with me how God has met their financial needs and provided for them. All who shared with me treasure Jesus. Right? Some of them are rich and some of them are poor, but Jesus has met all of their need because they all treasure Him and it's Him who provides. All of you baptized today, you're just starting out. You're just starting out. You will face a lot in this life. And the lesson for you is the lesson for all of us. Treasure Jesus most. Love Him most. Spend your life for Him. You are blessed by Christ. Hold on to that blessing. And finally, a fourth obstacle, picking up in verse 35. Fourth obstacle is power. So we have passion, pride, possession, and power. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? He's referring to his impending suffering and death. And they said to him, we're able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. They too would suffer. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. They would follow to death. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they became indignant at James and John. I'm going to take a quick break here. Didn't we just talk about this last week? Right? Who's the greatest? They were all fighting it out. So now the other ten hear it, and they're indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him, right? So he's getting all twelve. Guys, bring it back in. Huddle up. You know, family meeting, call it whatever you want. And he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Fourth obstacle is power, and Jesus willingly gave up his power to ransom us from darkness into light. He is the greatest, and he gave it all up to come and save us. James and John, they wanted power. They thought that when Jesus came in his kingdom, they could rule on his right and his left with them. Right? And Jesus turns the discussion to the truth. Power is a lure and often an illusion. Just like 
James and John, we're often deceived with the trappings of power. If you're chasing a position for power, check your motives. If you are in a position that has authority and has power, serve and lead well. Be great by serving those under you. Be a joy and a blessing. And remember this, the kingdom of God is led by Jesus, the true king greatest of all and the kingdom of God is a kingdom of power it's not a kingdom of dictators it's not a kingdom of people who lord it over others making people do their bidding it is a kingdom of true greatness and true power ruled by the true king greatness is found in service as the answer to pride is humility the answer to power is service Friends, let's follow the example of Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If we clear all these obstacles, Omar's a hurdler. 400 hurdles, that's what you run? Yeah, so 400 hurdles. Let's think of these as four hurdles, right, on this race. We've got these four hurdles. If we clear them, we still run the risk of the rich young man. Right? We run the risk of saying to Jesus, well, I didn't, didn't go after power. I didn't go after pride. I controlled my, my passions, and I don't love my possessions so much. I mean, have you seen my car? I don't love my possessions so much. Right? But what else? That was his question. Jesus, I've kept every law. But he still wasn't there. He still wasn't saved. He still wasn't trusting Jesus. And so he said, but what else must I do? He didn't have assurance. Jesus called him, follow me. We should not look at these obstacles and say, I've accomplished them, I'm in. Right? It doesn't work that way. We always need Jesus. Always running with Him. We can never do enough. We can overcome our passions and pride for a time. We can loose ourselves of possessions. We can give up power. But we can never attain perfection. We can never obtain salvation. We need Jesus. Verse 33, Jesus says to his disciples, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. He is giving it all up for a ransom. And after three days, he will rise. We need this gospel. The gospel that saved those baptized today can save you. If you have questions about it, I encourage you to talk with me or someone at the welcome table afterwards. We all need Jesus and this gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we... We praise you this morning and we thank you for 
Omar and Noah and Lauren and Julie. Lord, what a tremendous morning to be able to celebrate with them the new life that you have given them and to, to witness it visually in baptism, Lord. We pray that each of them would grow in respect to salvation as disciples. We pray that they would be strong witnesses for you, faithful in their generation to serve you and know you. And may they be a blessing to your church and serve the church with the gifts you give them. Lord, Father, lead them, lead us past these obstacles, past sin, into life with you. May we be a church known for passionate pursuit of you. May we be a church known not for our pride, but our humility, not our possessions, but our generosity, not our power, but our service, not our name, but the name of Jesus. May Jesus be greatly known through us. Use us, Lord, to grow your kingdom. Use us to lead others to Christ and make disciples. For you are worthy, God. You are holy, you are great, you alone are God. And you are worthy of the praise, not just of this city, but of this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.